listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're in the middle of this series on uh, the nine types of prayer that move God's hand. Today's day three. Good morning, Angie. Um, Today specifically, though, I'm going to talk about two different types of prayer that you don't often hear people talk about anymore, um, which is, is sad. Good morning. I don't know if that's Lennox or Sandy, but I love you both. Jessica Fole, good to see you. Um, I'm going to talk about two types of prayer that you don't often hear people talking about anymore. And they're two very important types of prayer. Of course, all prayer is important. All prayer is important. Um, and I've searched through the New Testament, searched through the Old, I've specifically found at least nine types of prayer, which we're covering this week, that move God's hand. The reason I say that move God's hand is because you have prayer, some prayer people, prayers that people pray, God doesn't hear them. And uh, I'm referring again, as I said yesterday, to those that aren't serving the Lord. But on top of that, there are certain prayers that though God may hear them from Christians because he hears all of our prayers, He can't answer them because they don't line up with his word and he's watching over his word to perform it. He's watching over his word to perform it. So today, as I'm going through two more of the nine, I want to, I want to hit these two that really don't get talked about very much anymore. They should, they're very important. They should be staples in the life of a believer, but I know it's not popular um, (laughs) as much anymore as it used to be. In fact, uh, these two types of prayer that I'm going to cover today uh, were weekly standards. Even when I was growing up, weekly standards, these types of prayer were done um, even, I'm talking about among the church, every week. And then people, you know, there were groups of people that were doing these things every day uh, in the style that I'm going to teach today. So uh, get out a, a notebook or take some notes on your phone or tablet, whatever you have. Mark these down. Thanks for people that are putting it in the comments because I'm going to move through these scriptures and teach. And I know there's always people coming on late. What scripture was that? Um, but I want to I want to show these to you. Uh, of course, on day one, which was Monday, we covered praying in the spirit. That was the first type of prayer we covered. Praying in the spirit. Uh, praying in tongues. And all the benefits, what it is, what it isn't. We talked about that on Monday. Um, Yesterday, specifically, we talked about the prayer of repentance. That's the only prayer God will hear from an unbeliever. And the prayer of praise. Very, very important. The prayer of praise. uh, And how powerful that is and what it opens up to you in the spirit realm. Um, Today, as we get ready to cover numbers four and five, uh, I'm going to start by talking about, you can put it in the comments, Uh, Number four, it's the prayer of consecration. It's the prayer of consecration. And so I want to uh, take you to Matthew chapter 26 to look at this starting off, the prayer of consecration. Um, This is something that uh, we would see happening every single week in church, 
Um, you know, when I was growing up, there was a lot more. Uh, is my mic turned upward? What's going on? Hello, everybody. There we go. That way, nobody gets their ears popped if you got earphones in. Um, when I was growing up, we used to have a lot more altar time or altar ministry in church than what people have today. Now, of course, at Miracle Word Church, we have altar time all the time. I mean, we're laying hands on people. We're ministering to people, anointing with oil. I mean, we have altar time. But many churches today, there's no altar ministry. You know, you hear a short message. There's a prayer to close. Everybody goes home. And there's no ministry to the people of God who need a touch from heaven. Um, but when I was growing up, and I, I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, even when Brother Hagin would tell stories when he was a pastor um, in Texas, they would spend every Sunday at the end gathering around the altar and praying. I can remember many services like that when I was growing up where we didn't finish with just a, a prayer and a, a benediction and everybody just got back to their pot roast. There were time, we'd gather around the altar and we would pray and we'd spend time in prayer. As that was happening, one of the types of prayer uh, that, that we should always pray, which I'm gonna show you that Jesus did, is the prayer of consecration. You say, what is the prayer of consecration? As I'm teaching you about these different types of prayer, one thing you'll realize is that they all serve different purposes. They all do different things. Uh, the prayer of repentance is not the same as the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith is not the same as, for example, the prayer of uh, what we talked about yesterday, prayer of praise. So they all are different and they all have different functions in the body. And many times they operate by different rules. As I said yesterday, which that's why I'm getting into it today, um, you've probably heard the term, if you've been in church for any period of time, um, you know, Lord, if it be your will, if it be your will, Lord, if it be your will. If you've heard that, throw your hand up in the comments section. Lord, if it be your will. People pray that all the time. But did you know there's only really uh, a couple of prayers, types of prayer that that's appropriate to even say, Lord, if it be your will, you know, you wouldn't pray that if you were praying the prayer of repentance, you know, Lord, if it, if it be your will, you know, I repent of my sins. No, it's his will that you repent of your sins. It's God's will that you repent of your sins. So it'd be inappropriate to pray, Lord, if it be your will, I, you know, I, I repent. And if it be your will, forgive me of my sin. No, it's his will for you to repent. And it's his will to forgive you of your sins. It would be inappropriate to use that phrase if you're praying the prayer of faith for somebody's healing or for somebody's deliverance or whatever that may be. It would be inappropriate. Why? Because the Bible already reveals to us, as James Diaz said in the comments, the Bible already reveals to us God's will. It's in his word. God's will is his word. So you can know what God's nature is and his character is regarding a subject just by reading the word. We know it's God's will to heal his people. We know it's always his will. Jesus never turned one person away who needed healing, who needed deliverance, that came to him by faith. He didn't look at one person in the gospels and say, well, listen, I was gonna heal you, but as you came closer to me, I recognized that it's actually my father's will that you be sick. 
And so, because that's his will, I'm going to leave you in the state that I found you. And I'm just going to ask God to give you strength to bear what you have and to go through this trial and tribulation. No, that never happened one time in the gospels because it's not God's will for people to be sick. It's not God's will for people to be bound. If it was God's will for people to be sick, why would God anoint Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were uh, oppressed of the devil? Healing all, all, why? Because it's God's will for people to be healed. So when you're praying for somebody to be healed, don't be double-minded and say, well, Lord, you know, if it be your will, heal them of this kid. It's his will. It's his will. And that's dangerous to use that phrase in times when you are uh, exercising your faith because you don't want to become double-minded in what you believe. Because the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that type of a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And thank you for those of you that are sharing it as you're logging on. It means a lot. And I appreciate you helping get the word out. I told you we're using two uh, texts for prayer this whole week. Two texts this whole week. Uh, John 15, 7 is the first text that says this, Jesus speaking, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So that's our first text is uh, John 15, seven. Brother Hagin and I said, use that text for an entire year teaching a prayer class. I wondered, how's he gonna use one verse of scripture for a whole year? He did it and, and never uh, got boring. James chapter five and verse 16 is our second text for, for this week on prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So I want you to say this and put it in the comments. My prayer has power. We've been saying that my prayer has power. That's James 5, 16. My prayer carries power, and it absolutely does. Your prayer carries power. There's no question about it. Uh, and so here, I want to take you over to Matthew chapter 26. We're starting today with the prayer of consecration. The pr this is something that you should pray on a daily basis. Nothing wrong with praying this on a daily basis. Doesn't mean you don't have faith. You know, there's some people that teach you, if you keep praying about this because you don't have faith. No, no, it's not because you don't have faith. It's because you have a love for God and a dedication to his kingdom. That's why we pray the prayer of consecration. That's why we pray the prayer of consecration. Um, one of the things that uh, struck me, and we, I may take you there, is that before God moved among his people in the Old Testament, Joshua 3, he commanded them to consecrate themselves. If you were with me, Victory Tribe, at the time when I was preaching the word, we've not been this way before. You remember God was about to part the Jordan River during the time of the harvest. It was overflowing its banks. 
The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went out. As soon as their feet touched the water, the water folded back on itself and dry ground was all that was left and they crossed on dry ground. But remember, God said to them, uh, let the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant go out ahead of you uh, and show you the way because you've not been this way before. Before he gives them any word or makes any miracles take place among them, he says, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. That's powerful. Let me say that again. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. And here's the thought I want you to get. Consecration is a prerequisite for God's wonders. Put that in the comments. Put it in your notes. Never forget it. Consecration is a prerequisite for God's wonders. If you're going to have a wonder-filled life, a wonder-filled life, then consecration has to be your story. Consecration has to be your lifestyle. That's why God spoke to them, even under the old covenant, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Consecration is a prerequisite for God's wonders. If you want a wonder-working life, say, man, what's a wonder? It's when God does things so amazing in your life that people wonder how it happened. It's a wonder. You know, if you've ever heard the phrase or you studied in school, the seven wonders of the world, and you look at the seven wonders of the world, they truly are wonders. Do you realize the, the, when you look at the seven wonders of the world, people are still to this day wondering how they happened. Like the pyramids. You look at the pyramids in Egypt. Where is that, Giza? It's located in Giza. My geographical friend there in the back. Um, the Great Pyramids of Giza. People still to this day are wondering, how did that happen? How did they get those built with, with no technology that we have today? How did they get such a perfect um, uh, structure? Was it? Wow. I pulled that out, huh? Look at that homeschooling going to work today. Pyramids of Giza. Um, that's right, aliens. It was aliens, Ben. Aliens did it. Now, people still say that. that so, so think about that. People, that is an explanation some people give. Aliens must have come and built the pyramids because why do, they, why do they say that? Because they can't figure out how structures like that could be so perfectly built back in a time when there was no modern technology. They, they can't fathom it. It's a wonder. That's why it's a wonder. They're still wondering how it happened. They're still wondering how, how it got done. And that's why some people said it had to be some more intelligent life force, you know, had to be aliens. The reason they think that is because they look at that and they're still wondering. It's still a wonder today. So when, that, when the Bible says God will do wonders, he does things that people still are saying, how in the world did that happen? How in the world did that happen? The parting of the Red Sea, the parting of the Jordan River, the walls of Jericho coming down, God bringing his people out of bondage in Egypt, the death angel passing through the land, but none of them getting touched. I mean, you can go one after the other, God performing wonders among his people that are still talked about today. 
So a life of wonders is when God begins to do things for you that make people wonder how it happened. They'll be amazed. People will be amazed. Consecration is a prerequisite for God's wonders. He's not doing it for everybody, but he's doing it for those that consecrate. Just to give you a, 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 a concrete definition. Um, to declare or make something sacred or dedicated formally for a divine purpose. That's what consecration is. To declare or make something sacred, that means set apart, dedicated formally to a divine purpose. That's what consecration is. It's when you are declaring yourself set apart for God's purpose. Set apart for God's purpose. Just write it in the comments. I am set apart for God's purpose. That's what consecration is. And so there are prayers of consecration. We pray those. Again today, we're going to be coming back at 12 noon, and I'm going to pray with you. We're going to spend 30 minutes like we do every day and pray, press into the presence of God. One of the prayers we pray is a prayer of consecration. It's a prayer of consecration. So it's declaring something set apart, holy unto God for a divine purpose. That's who we are. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood set apart for God's purpose. Without question, it's who we are. And so sometimes we pray these prayers of consecration that God would what? Empower us to please him with our lives. That's a prayer of consecration. Lord, empower me to please you with my life. Here in Matthew 26, Jesus is the one praying the prayer of consecration. And uh, we know that Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. Nobody's flesh wants to be crucified. Nobody wants their body to be tortured and killed. But Jesus was willing to do it for you and for me because he loved us so much and God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. And so listen to what he says regarding his own mind and regarding his own uh, state of mind at this time. He said, this is Matthew 26, 38. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Remain here and watch with me. It means keep awake, stay awake with me. Of course, they fell asleep. And verse 39, going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? The cup of suffering that he described to his disciples previously. Are you able to drink from this cup of suffering with me? Let this cup, the cup of suffering, pass from me. Nevertheless, catch that. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. So there it is. That's a prayer of consecration. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That is a prayer of consecration. It is saying, Lord, because I'm set apart, you've called me, you've chosen me, you've set me apart, not my will. I, and, and recognize this, every one of us have our own free will. 
And that's why Paul told Timothy, you have to purify yourself. God's not going to force you to be purified. That's why there are some that are vessels of gold and silver, others of wood and clay. Not everybody's a vessel of gold and silver, but it's not because God ordained them to be vessels of wood and clay. It's because, as Paul told Timothy, you've got to purify yourself, consecrate yourself. It is your responsibility, it's my responsibility to set ourselves apart with our own actions. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, Lord, yes, my soul's vexed. Yes, I don't want to go through this. Yes, if there's any other way, please reveal it to me. However, not my will, but your will be done. It's a prayer of consecration. Not not what I want, Lord, but what you want. You know, and you can... You know what's crazy is that you can live a consecrated lifestyle. A consecrated lifestyle, if you're truly set apart for God's purpose, then being led by the Spirit is easy. Even if you get a word that seems like, oh, my flesh doesn't want to do that, or I don't understand that. A lot of people get that. I don't understand that. I mean, the Lord, I feel the Lord told me to do this. I don't even understand why he told me to do this because he's the master. We're the servants. The master doesn't always have to explain to the servants why they're doing what they're doing. So he may give us an instruction. We don't know in the moment why he's telling us to do a certain thing, but we obey anyway because we're consecrated. I knew from the time I was five years old, my father was holding a revival in a small church up in the north. This pastor had two churches, so I can't, imagine, uh, I can't remember if it was his church that was in northern Maine or if it was his church that was in New Brunswick, Canada, just across the border from northern Maine. But my father was preaching, and I had remembered that the night before, all, everybody had gone to the altar to pray, like I described earlier. And uh, this night, it was like during praise and worship, but I felt again. I felt again to go down to the altar and pray, and I was just a kid, five years old. And I looked up at my mom. I said, Mom, are we going down to the altar to pray again tonight? And she said, well, not right now. But, but if, you feel, if you feel like going, you go ahead and do it. So I got out of my pew, walked down to the altar uh, during that service. And I was the only one. But I felt to go. And uh, that old pastor stopped the service and sat down on the side of the platform. He called me over and put me up and said, many of you don't know what's, what's going on right now. But the Lord is calling this young man to preach the gospel, calling this young man to preach the gospel. And uh, I knew, I knew from that age, I was filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues at the age of five, at the age of five years old. And it wasn't in some service and it wasn't in some, you know, because people think, oh, that's just people manipulating their children to, you know, mass hysteria, manipulating their children to start doing what they see. No, I was in my bedroom at my grandparents' house by myself in the night, in the night, in Providence, East Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, the Lord touched me in my bed in East Providence, Rhode Island, Riverside, Rhode Island. And power of God hit me in that house and I started speaking in tongues in that room. I came down the next morning, told my dad at breakfast, dad, I got filled with the Holy Ghost last night. He said, how do you know? I said, cause I spoke in tongues. He said, that's a good answer. That's the initial evidence. And so I got filled with the Holy Ghost at five years old, called to preach at five years old. I knew that I was called 
to evangelize at the age of five. Well, uh, later in my life, as I was leaving Bible school and the interim year after Bible school, I got a word from the Holy Ghost in fasting and prayer that I was to, because I was already doing a little bit of traveling, not much, just a little bit. You know, I was just out of Bible school. You're not super in demand when you're 19 years old and fresh out of Bible school. But I was traveling a little bit, had a few meetings, and I was working with my father. But in fasting and prayer in February of 2003, I heard the Lord say to me that you're to move to Virginia Beach and go on staff with your uncle who's launching a church there and help him build the church. And that didn't make any sense to my mind as someone who knew they were called to be an evangelist from five years old. And now I'm like 19 years old, about to be 20. And uh, um, I'm, I'm, I didn't understand it. I'm sitting there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, wondering during this winter Bible seminar in my hotel room, why in the world am I getting an instruction from the Holy Ghost to move and go on staff as an associate pastor with my uncle when I knew since I was five, I was called to be uh, an evangelist. Didn't understand it, but it didn't matter that I didn't understand it because I'm consecrated to God because I am led by the spirit. And so after the Lord told me, I made plans and I fulfilled my word and worked through, uh, I believe the month of June or the month of May, I worked May to May. And then in June, I packed up my things and moved down to Virginia beach to go on staff with my uncle at the time, not even understanding, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to travel. I'm just going to work here at the church and everything like that. All these years later, I understand as I'm launching a church myself here in South Florida makes all the sense in the world that God took me through those eight years of training, but I didn't understand at the time, but it doesn't matter that you don't understand because when you're praying prayers of consecration, what are you saying? Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's the prayer of consecration. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Even John the Baptist understood that he had to consecrate himself to his cousin, Jesus Christ, who was the Christ. He said, I have to decrease and he has to increase. I have to decrease. I have to serve him. I have to serve him. And he said, look, Jesus is coming to be baptized. Look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew who Jesus was. He said, there comes a man after me. I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandal. That's how powerful the man is. Talking about Jesus, his cousin. He said, there's one coming after me. So John knew who Jesus was and recognized I have to be consecrated and I have to decrease and he has to increase. Amen. The, sa the same is true with every one of us. Our will, our flesh nature, our own emotions, mine, they've got to decrease and Christ in me has to increase. I must decrease and Christ in me must increase. That's how it works. My flesh, my mind, my emotions, all the carnal parts of me, they must decrease and he in me must increase. Amen. And consecration is being totally set apart, totally uh, given to a divine purpose. And there are prayers. When we pray, uh, when we pray those prayers of consecration, what are we saying? 
Now, one of the things we're saying, we use it as a prayer point, Hebrews chapter one and verse nine. It's a, a quotation of the book of Psalms about Jesus Christ. And what are we saying? The Bible says, because, this is about Jesus, because you hated wickedness and because you loved righteousness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your brethren. So one thing that we see about Jesus, and of course the story is, I want to be more like Jesus. But what did Jesus, he hated wickedness and he loved righteousness. He hated wickedness, he loved righteousness. And so what, one of the things that we use as a prayer point, Hebrews 1, 9, we'll say, Lord, as you did for Jesus, do it for us. Give us a hatred for wickedness. Give us a love for what's righteous. Give us a love for what you love. Let our hearts break with what breaks your heart. Let us be angry at the things that make you angry. Let us hate wickedness as you hate wickedness. Not people, but wickedness. Let us hate wickedness as you hate wickedness. Let us love righteousness as Christ loved righteousness. And Lord, as we do and as we live that way, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're anointing us with the oil of gladness that above our, just like you did for Christ. And we begin to pray, the, pray these prayers of consecration. Lord, today, I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower me to please you with my life by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would empower me to make every decision that would be pleasing unto you. Let me not make one decision that would displease you today with my life, but let my decisions please you, Lord. That's prayers of consecration, that you're saying, God, I'm set apart to you. Let everything in my life reflect what pleases you, reflect the commands of your word, and not my will, but your will be done. Because understand, even in your carnal will, there are things you want to do, and maybe, watch this, maybe those things are not even sin. But even though they're not sin, as Paul said, they're not the best thing you could do. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. I could go home this afternoon and eat four Papa John's pizzas. I could do that. Doesn't mean I should do that. Is it a sin to go home and eat four Papa John's pizzas? No, it's not a sin. I could do it, but should I do it? No, because though there are things that are lawful to do, they're okay to do, it doesn't mean you should do them. You see, so even the things, so what, what are we doing? We're putting God's parameters on our lives. Why are we doing that? We're saying, Lord, I don't want to just uh, not do the things that are sinful. I also don't want to make moves, make decisions that are a waste of time in my life. Think about this part of consecration with me, because this is how you excel in the kingdom. This is how you get, gain promotion in the kingdom. You say, Lord, I don't just not want to do things that are sinful with my life. I don't want to do things that are a waste of time with my life. Why is that? Because the Bible says in Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, unless he's the one building it, they labor in vain that build it. So notice that what the verse is saying. If God's not building things, if he's not the one building the thing you're doing, then your work means nothing. Your work is in vain. Why would you even do it? It's a waste of time. Unless the Lord builds the house. So it's not just about sin and, and holiness. That's the main thing, sin and holiness. But beyond sin and holiness, what about consecration to God to the point 
where we only want to do the things he's ordained us to do. That's where we're at. That's, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want. That I, I learned that principle. I love that principle from, from Bishop David Oyedepo. Um, somebody posted on Twitter, which is now X. They said, um, what, what advice would you give a, a young pastor? Well, I'm a new pastor, but I'm not a young minister. I've been ministering for over 20 years. The advice that many gave me when I was in my 20s that I would give, and I, I responded to that post, is, is this. Um, if God didn't tell you to do it, let it remain undone. If he can't give it to you, may you never have it. And if he didn't tell you to go there, may you never arrive. That's truly the leading of the Spirit. If God can't give it to me, may I never have it. If God can't take me there, may I never arrive. If God didn't tell me to do it, let it remain undone. There are, there are things that even may look good. There are things that may even look profitable. But if God didn't tell you to do it, then don't do it. Why would you get involved with doing something that you are not called to do? It's like I've, I use this experience. Uh, uh, this example all the time. There are many nations of the world right now that need orphanages. They, they have plenty of orphans, plenty of people that have been displaced from their homes, all kinds of problems. There's plenty of nations that need orphanages. And that's a good thing. If someone builds orphanages for those children, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. However, God never told me to leave my ministry and go and move to those nations and build orphanages though it needs to be done. And though it's a good and godly thing to take care of orphans and widows. Yes, it is. Now I can give to that thing, but I'm not called to stop doing what God called me to do and go do something else I was never told to do unless the Lord builds the house. See, if I leave my own direction, if I leave my own uh, calling and purpose from God that, that he's doing through me and go decide to do my own thing, then his hand's not on that. Why? Because he only pays for what he orders. And he never ordered me to do that. So there are even things that are not sinful, but if God's not on it, if he didn't tell you to do it, it's not part of your consecration. It's not part of your consecration. If you go into the military and you're in the, uh, let's say, for example, you're in the army, you're not, you're not, um, set apart as, as an army ranger to go fly Navy planes. You'd actually get in a lot of trouble if you left whatever duty you were assigned to, went onto a naval base or got onto an aircraft carrier, just jumped into a, an F-18 Hornet and took off. I mean, like, you may not even know how to fly the plane. You probably don't. So what are you going to do? Take off from the aircraft carrier and crash it? You're not set apart to fly that naval plane as an army ranger. And if you're in the army of God, you have a specific purpose on your life. There's a specific call. I'm not set apart to do things that other people have been called to do. I have to do my thing. That's why the prayer of consecration is so important. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. One of the things that happens with Christians is they get bored accomplishing their purpose. They get bored. They wish they were doing something else. So they move on and do other things and side things and stuff. And they're just bored accomplishing their purpose. And as a result, they get involved doing things that the Lord never told them to do. And, and literally, his strength's not on it. His power's not on it. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And so consecration says, Lord, 
not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want to do, what you want me to do. And Jesus prayed it. The apostles prayed it. The early church prayed it. It's very, very vital to the Christian life. So number four today is the prayer of consecration. Number five, the second one I'm going to cover today that's not talked about like it used to be is the prayer of intercession. I want you to put that in the comments. Number five, the prayer of intercession. So vital that we get this. Now this, this used to be really, really talked about a lot. Brian or Nicole, I don't know which one, says, do you think doing extra things is bad? And to answer your question with what I just taught, getting involved in other endeavors other than the thing God told you to do, God will allow you to do it. But if he never told you to do it, why would you want to get involved with it? There's a lot of things I could do. There's only a few things I should do. Right? Like I have, I'm, I'm very, I'm smart. I could, I could go start some other business. I could get involved and say, I'm, I'm going to be a, you know, I'm going to invest and become a builder of homes. Okay. God never told me to go build homes, though I could. I could invest in it, get everybody together, start getting uh, spec houses together, start building homes. Okay. But that's going to detract from the thing that I'm actually doing that I'm called to do. And I've seen this happen with people is that they've got a call and a purpose on their life and then they get bored with it because they're not pursuing it like they should be and then they start getting off into other things that their flesh would like to do. God never told them to do it. God never told them to do it. Did you know even Brother Hagin had made that mistake before the Lord corrected him and when the Lord spoke to Brother Hagin and said that, uh, that there was a financial recession coming to America, uh, there were all these things that he was doing that the Lord said, get, get uninvolved with everything I never told you to do. And he had hired counselors and different things at, at Rama for people to come in and speak to counselors. And he realized the Lord never told me to do that. It was just a thing I knew would be good for people and people would, it would help people. But the Lord never told me to do that. I had this whole staff of counselors. And so he went and let them all go, let all the counselors go. He, did, got, he got out of every endeavor that he got into that the Lord never told him to get into. And he was blessed because of it. When the recession came, he never felt it. And they built the Raymond campus cash in the time of the recession. So everybody has to watch themselves as to, you know, don't get involved with things the Lord never told you to get involved with. Do what he's called you to do. Do what he's called you to do. The prayer of intercession. Acts chapter 12, I want you to go there with me. The prayer of intercession. You're interceding on someone else's behalf. You're interceding on someone else's behalf. There's some people, you know, all they ever pray for is them. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Some people, all, all they pray for is what they want. Now there is a prayer. There is a type of prayer that we'll cover and go into uh, that is praying. God's interested in the things you want and the things that you need. And he wants you to ask him for those things. That's the prayer of supplication. But not every prayer that we pray is the prayer of supplication to be supplied with something. Not every prayer we pray is that prayer. And there's some people that all they do is pray for themselves and pray for their wants. 
That's where many people's prayer ends. They come to God and they just ask him for what they want and that's the end of the prayer. There's no praise, there's no thanksgiving, there's no consecration, there's no prayer in the spirit, there's no prayer, you know, I mean, you can go through all, all nine, which we will by the end, but, but they don't get involved in anything but what they want. Lord, give me a new car. Lord, I'm believing for that new job. Give me that new job, amen. It was like, that's the extent of their prayers. But there are kingdom prayers, what we would call kingdom prayers. And, and this prayer of intercession, which is one of the nine, this prayer of intercession is a kingdom prayer because you begin to pray for other people beside yourself. You begin to pray for other people. You could pray, as the Bible says to do, for leaders, for political leaders in your nation and in the world, for people that are in authority over you. You pray for your nation. You pray for the people of your nation. You pray for uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You pray for your family members, extended and, and immediate. You, you begin to pray for other people. There are, there are many people that have needs and believe God. One of the things that touched my heart, my cousin uh, Jonathan was telling a story that there was this man, my father uh, knew him as well. There was this man who was a teacher at the Bible school that my whole family attended in, in Rhode Island, now in Massachusetts. And he was a professor there and his name was uh, Brother Lundstrom. And Brother Lundstrom kind of had a mad scientist vibe to him. <laughs> and uh, an absent-minded professor kind of looked to him, two different color socks and, you know, that kind of thing. But Brother Lundstrom was a man of prayer. And my cousin Jonathan was telling me, it really touched his heart. And when I heard the story, it touched my heart, that um, Brother, Brother Lundstrom would just be walking across the campus of the, of the college was he there when you were there, Tiff? No, he was gone by then. Brother Lundstrom would be walking across the campus and he'd see a student and he'd say, you're Jeremy Withers to, to the student. And the student would be like freaked out because he's like, I've never spoken to you before. Like, how do you know my full name? Like, how do you know who I am? And he'd go, you're Jeremy Withers. I pray for you. I pray for you, Jeremy. And, and it would freak students out. They, they didn't understand, like, how does he even know who I am? Like, how does he know my full name? How does, I don't have him for classes like that. You're Jeremy Withers. I know you, Jeremy. I pray for you. And, and they, what my cousin found out was Brother Lundstrom would take the Zion uh, yearbook and go through the pictures of every student and in his prayer time pray for the students by their picture and their name in, next to their picture in the, in the yearbook. And he'd sit there and, and begin to pray. And he knew, he knew their face because he'd been looking at them in the yearbook. He knew their face from, from praying for them by the yearbook. And he would just pray for the students of the school where he was teaching and believe God that God would bless their ministries and bless them and bless their families. And he would stop them and say, you're Jeremy Withers. I know you. I pray for you, Jeremy. And it blew people's minds to think. Now, what is that? That's the prayer of intercession. You're interceding on somebody else's behalf. You're, you're not praying for you. You're praying for someone else. You might be praying for your nation or the leaders in your nation or your pastor. You might be paying, praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You might be praying for your wife or your husband or your children or your extended family. The prayer of intercession. I want you to see it here in Acts chapter 12. 
We can see the prayer of intercession at work and how powerful the prayer of intercession is. I'll start in verse one. The Bible says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by who? Not by Peter, by the church. So the church, we find out later, had gathered in a house and was praying for Peter, praying for his release, praying for his protection. They're praying the prayer of intercession. It's not for them. It's for him. Now, I've I've taught this before. Peter was operating by a spirit of faith because he wasn't even afraid. He wasn't even freaked out in the midst of the night before his execution. Wasn't, Wasn't afraid at all. He was sleeping because Jesus had already given him a word that he wouldn't die until he was old, until he was an old man. That can be found at the end of Gospel of John. But here, the church praying for Peter. And what happens? As a result of their prayers, look what took place. The Bible says now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding that prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so and said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first gate and the second guard, first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of the Herod and all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together, look, and praying. They were gathered together and they were praying. What were they doing? Praying prayer of intercession. It wasn't for them. It was for Peter. And that's what I'm talking about. When we pray, and this needs to be done more often than it's being done, the prayer of intercession. That The prayer of intercession has saved my life. Saved my life. The fact that I'm sitting here teaching you today is because the prayer of intercession saved my life. When I was in Bible school, I've told you the story before. I had, I had made some unwise decisions, stayed up for like 20 seven or 29 hours straight and was driving on my way to an eight hour shift uh, at the call center that I talked about on the Instagram live on the way over to the studio this morning, Micah Tech. And uh, as I was driving over there, fell dead asleep at the wheel. I was so tired. I fell dead asleep at the wheel. And I was on the main drag in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
And uh, I literally, while asleep, dragged my car through two lanes of oncoming traffic. Didn't hit a car, not one. My car went into a restaurant parking lot. I never hit one parked car, never hit one pedestrian, never hit a telephone pole. I didn't even have a seatbelt on. I would have been dead. If I hit anything, I was dead that night. The only thing that woke me up was the parking. Um, I was at the end of a parking space. They have the cement block. My car, probably at about 30 to 40 miles an hour, went over that cement block at the end of a parking space, woke me up. It bounced me, and I, my, my head hit the ceiling, and I woke up screaming, Jesus. And I came to a, a stop in the middle of a warehouse parking lot. And I'm looking around, nothing on my car was even, uh, on the outside was damaged, the underneath was. No broken windows. I hadn't been hit, I had no blood, no bruises, not, no anything. And I, I called my father to tell him that I'd been in a car accident, been in a wreck. And uh, he told me that the, earlier that day, the Lord had given him a vision of me being in a car accident. And when the Lord gave him that vision, you know what he started doing? Interceding. Start praying for me. That's intercession. The prayer of intercession. And um, we used to even sing songs about intercession. When I was, there was a song we used to sing when I was growing up. Um, Somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. My father prayed for me, had me on his mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad he prayed. I'm so glad he prayed. I'm so glad he prayed for me. And they'd go through everybody they knew. My sister prayed for me. But it was a song about intercession. And my father did pray for me. And he said, I prayed for you until I felt a release in my spirit. People used to call that praying through, praying till you feel the anointing release. You feel like I've, I've completed what I'm praying about. Sometimes you don't even know how to praise you ought to, the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit prays through you. Romans chapter eight, verse 26. So he prayed for me and that was hours and hours before the thing even happened. So notice this, uh, it was the gifts of the Spirit as well as the prayer of intercession that saved my life that night in Tulsa, Oklahoma. God gave my father a word by the spirit and then when he got it, he began to pray, began to intercede. And, and I told you this um, as I was teaching this week, one of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard regarding intercession is when Dr. Sumrall was traveling with Howard Carter in the third, third world nations and going through the bush. And um, they came down with this heavy fever and it was, you know, it looked like it, it wasn't going to be good. You're not close to any uh, hospitals or any medical attention, nothing, no, nothing available to you. But when they came back to the States, Dr. Summerall was visiting with this couple and they said, can we ask you a question? And they, they talked back however, however long it was. They said, can we ask you what was happening to you on this day in your ministry? because they looked at their prayer journal and they said, on this day, we felt a heavy burden to pray for you. There's a heavy burden to pray for you. And so we just prayed and prayed and prayed until we felt the release in our spirit. And so Brother Summerall went back through his ministry journal 
And the time they were praying for him was the exact time that he was in that other nation battling that fever and fighting for his life. And after that, he writes about it, that it broke. The fever broke and everything was fine. Now, it was in days where there was no cell phones, there was no email, there was no, no modern technology to stay connected. You can't FaceTime your partners from wherever you're having your, your missionary journey or whatever. Can't do that. But it's interesting that even back then, the Holy Spirit did the same thing, because he doesn't change, did the same thing. He alerted people in the body of Christ to intercede on behalf of somebody else. And they had a burden on their heart to pray for Dr. Sumrall. And they prayed and prayed and prayed, and God was working a miracle, though they didn't know what he was going through. God didn't reveal to them what he was going through. They had to ask him. But they did it anyway. They prayed. That's why I'm telling you right now, when you feel a burden to pray for somebody, don't put it off. Don't say, well, that's probably just in my mind. And the Lord gives you a burden to pray for somebody. Launch into prayer for that person. Launch into prayer. You don't know what they're dealing with in that moment. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. But begin to pray. Begin to pray for that person immediately. Don't put it off. There are times God may wake you up in the middle of the night with a burden to pray, a burden to pray. Don't go back to sleep. Get up and pray. Get up and pray and let God use you to pray out his plan and purpose in the earth. Let God use you to pray out his plan and purpose in the earth and begin to pray. Sometimes I'll say this because we'll combine uh, a couple of these types of prayer. There might be times where you feel a burden to pray, but you don't know what to pray for. Begin praying in tongues. Begin to pray in the spirit. You don't know what you're praying for. You, God hasn't revealed to you why that burden for prayer is on your heart, but begin to pray. Begin to pray. Pray in the spirit. Let God and let the Holy Spirit pray through you. When you don't know what to pray or how to pray, let the Holy Spirit pray through you. So we're talking about the prayer of consecration and the prayer of intercession. First, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But then also praying for those around you. I'll take a portion of my prayer time and I'll pray for my family, pray for my children, pray for my wife. I'll pray for the, my team, the miracle word team here. I'll pray for them, pray for their families. I pray for my parents. I'm praying for other people. I'm interceding. A portion of my prayer time, I'm interceding for other people. Asking God to strengthen them, bless them, use them. Give them open doors. Give them resources. Give them finances. Give them what they're believing you for. Give them increase. Give them promotion. I'm interceding. And this is one of the things that we need to be doing on a regular basis. It moves the hand of God. You saw what happened here. As the church prayed, God released an angel from heaven, an angel from heaven that saved Peter's life. As my father prayed, I, I'm sure angels were dispatched. I didn't see angels, but I'm sure angels were dispatched because they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister on behalf of those who have inherited salvation. And it spared my life. I'm sure that as uh, those, that couple prayed, it spared Dr. Sumrall's life, Dr. Carter's life. Why? Because intercessory prayer changes things. It changes things. 
Don't be so self-focused in prayer that you miss the kingdom prayers. One of the things we pray as a kingdom prayer, again, we're coming back at, at noon to pray for a half an hour, but one of the things we pray is that God would strengthen the pastors of this nation, the churches of this nation. Set us on fire again. Those, Lord, for those, their fires have burned down. Maybe they're down to the coals. Ignite their fires again. Blow your breath through the nation. Touch the churches. Increase them. Bless them. Set them on fire. Use them. Let souls be saved. Let people be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Let people be healed. Praying for others. Believing God for your nation. Believing God for the church at large. Kingdom prayers. Things God wants to do in the earth. Align your prayers with God's will. And one of the ways we always do that is by using scripture, by using scripture to back up every prayer we pray. That's why when we give you prayer points, they always have scriptures attached to them. Always. See, I want you to get this aspect of prayer in your heart because the Lord's been dealing with me that it's time for the church to pray like we've never prayed, to press into the presence of God and pray like we've never prayed. We're living in a critical time right now living in a critical time. Jesus is getting ready to come back. Things are getting darker in the world, but they're getting better for the church. And it's time for us to pray and, and ask God to use us to reap an end time harvest of souls like we've never seen come into the kingdom before. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.